ribbons, they overflow Been rejected by the bin man My hoarding's out of control Don't want to bring back any one night stands You're scared to talk about it Don't want to make a scene Can't get that loft extension so I live in a land full of memories. Hiya! I'm Susanna Romato, but you can call me Susie. And this is the Landfill of Memories podcast. My stage show, Landfill of Memories, came about because I had a breakdown. And through that breakdown, I discovered that I was a hoarder. And in this podcast, we look back at all the things that we keep for the memories. We've all heard that one before, right? Keep it for the memes, put it on the Instagram. From sentimental objects to the most silly things, we relive each item story and hear about the part they've played in our lives. And as an owner of over 500 train tickets, a ridiculous amount of receipts and a phenomenal amount of photos, I finally come to recognise the power of letting things go. So in this podcast, I ask my guests to bring in three things that remind them of significant moments in their lives. An item that reminds them of a childhood memory, an item that reminds them of a tough time and an item that reminds them of such an amazing memory, they'll treasure it forever. And then at the end of the conversation, we'll find out whether they'll keep the memory or decide to shred it into pieces. Denise Harrop is an assistant producer for BBC Education and she's had an extensive career in TV for over 20 years. Plus, she's also a DJ, a live artist and a mum. But her mum was a hoarder and we go back through her life and career and pinpoint the hardships of growing up with a loved one who struggled with undiagnosed hoarding. It was an absolute delight to speak to her and a joy actually to see the side of her as a friend, a different side which has been mostly undiscovered. We look back over her three special memories. Here she is. Miss Harrop, <laughs> welcome to the Landfill of Memories podcast. How are you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. recovering. Recovering, yes, this is post-COVID. Mm. Have you got your sense of smell and taste back? Slightly, but not totally, no. I can still bleach the bathroom <laughs> and Harry can go in and his eyes <laughs> will be streaming and I'm like, what? what? So it's coming back slowly. What other symptoms do you still have post-COVID? <laughs> is this turning into Susie's <laughs> medical chat? <laughs> I'm trying for the audience to get a feel for... Because we're not video recording this one, so okay. we're both sat here in our coats on because it's yeah. freezing in the audio always. That's why no today. one's allowed to see me because I have post-COVID face. Uh, you might be wondering then why we're sitting here in a studio in the freezing cold next to a shredder with lots of shredded paper. Uh, but don't worry, that's all going to be recycled. But that's because I'm a hoarder. And as you know, Harrop, I'm yeah. a hoarder and I've done a, a show about hoarding. Um, yes, and a very good show it was as well. I was uh, did audience participation in that. Yes, thank you very much. But as you know, I've always found it difficult to part with my possessions. But your like bedroom is super tidy and neat and doesn't look like you're a hoarder. You've got like a secret room where you keep everything in. Yes. Oh, okay. 
That answers that question. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you're a fake hoarder. <laughs> no, everything's in that back room that no uh, one goes into. Yeah. You can't even go into it. You okay. can just you can't you can just about open the back door. Just about open it so it hits the wall. I thought that was the craft room. Well, no, it's not. It's <laughs> it's one of those rooms that's just full of. Yeah. You go in, you look at it, and you go, nah. Everybody has one of those rooms. It starts off as a drawer, mm-hmm. and then it goes to a bag and then it ends up as an entire room mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and an attic in <laughs> my we'll, case we'll get on to yeah. your wonderful attic actually yeah so do you have a shit drawer do you have i have several shit hiding places <laughs> so there will be several bags of doom at any one point um and then there'll be the pile of papers doom which is right. bills letters, all that shenanigans. Then I have my attic, which we mentioned, which has... I have loads of vintage clothes that I just can't get rid of. Mm. And also Harry's toys, mainly his train set. But that's got too much of, like, an emotional Mm. thing to get rid of. And, yeah, I have under the stairs, downstairs, which the laundry goes into, so that's always a big pile because it's never ending and yeah constant piles of crap everywhere Mm. like most people think when you say lots of shit hiding places do they blend into well it'll just get to a point where it'll overflow (laughs) and there's no rhyme or reason to it but i will tackle something usually if i've got something else really important to do I'll suddenly need to clear out that drawer. <laughs> so it happens occasionally. It's not something that happens regularly, but I just wished I could have that impulse a little bit more. Mm, to just to go through everything. Yeah. Do you know where everything is as well? Do you, you're like... Kind of. You know that y- your paper's there? Yeah. It's kind of organised chaos. But um, who is it? Sorry, brain fog brain. Einstein. Oh, yeah, that guy. Him. <laughs> that relativity guy. Is it, isn't there a quote from him about messiness and his desk? Isn't it a sign of intelligence? I think so, yeah. 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 I'll go me with that. And, me and Einstein <laughs> together. <laughs> go way back. Yeah, just making history. So as you know, then, in this podcast, it's all about looking back at the things that we keep for the memories or for the mems. We take a look back at the memorable items we've kept throughout our lives before deciding which memorable item we're going to keep. Yeah. Or shred into pieces. And obviously the decision is entirely up to yourself. I'm not going to hold you down and force you to shred anything. I'd like to see that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's certain sites that people would pay good money for that, Susie. Uh, Yes. Okay, so starting with your first memorable item then, which is something that reminds you from your childhood. What item have you brought in with you today? And can you describe it for our lovely listeners? Um, Well, this is a certificate. I haven't had many certificates in my life. And why this one is funny, it's a French certificate. And all I can actually remember is Bonjour, je m'appelle Denise, j'habite Manchester. But apparently, and I'd completely forgotten about this, I'd got 90%, 90 out of 100 for my level one graded proficiency tests in modern languages. What? Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> so apparently I was proficient in the giving of personal information, <laughs> finding the way, travelling by bus and underground and railway, placing an order in a cafe, shopping for food, drink and postage stamps. And I have absolute zero memory of this. <laughs> and other than giving of personal information, which is quite limited, I couldn't do any of the other ones. But do you want to know what marks I was awarded? Yes, please. So for listening, 34 out of 40. Very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Reading, 38 out of 40. Mm-hmm. Speaking, 18 out of 20. It's a miracle because when I left school, when I was like 18, I was um, diagnosed as dyslexic. So up to a certain point, I was really clever. You know, I could answer questions. But then the moment you started having to write essays or would do any form of writing, I became bottom of the class. So I was, like, put in the remedial class, as it was then called, called Special Education Needs, now SEN, for maths and English. And um, I never passed an exam again. So this is a little amazing piece of... Of history there. And not only just passed it, I think I slayed. You did I slay. Slayed, yeah. I slayed 90 out of 100. Yes. Yeah, so that's quite interesting. How old do you think you were when this certificate would have been awarded I to you? I think I might have been about 11 or 12, so it would have been the first time I'd done French, and that's when I was at the all-girls Catholic school, and you did that, you know, from... It'd be year seven or eight now, I think, but it'd be first year when I was there. Well, I was going to say, do you remember being in that class? And I can remember the nun who teached it, um, Sister Mary Dominic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can remember her, and it was very... Um, she, she was obviously quite stern, but she was the youngest nun at the school. So I always used to look at her with a little bit of wonder, thinking, mm. oh, I wonder if she know." wants to go out disco dancing. Because <laughs> all the others were really old and how you would imagine nuns to be. Mm-hmm. But Sister Mary Dominic could have been a bit racy for all we know. And where did you grow up again? So I grew up in a satanic mill town <laughs> um, <laughs> in Lancashire called Rottenstall. But I went to school in Burnley. 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 Is that where the Bank of Dave is? Apparently so. I've not seen it. <laughs> it would bring too triggering. Bank of Dave, Rottenstall. Yeah, um, that kind of thing. Yes. Whippets. I worked in a knicker factory. Mm-hmm. What did you do in the knicker factory? Well, my mum worked there, so it was in the summer holidays. So you, when you left school, you left in May in your last year. And so I didn't start college till September, so I went to work with her in the factory. And she was an overlocker, and they tried me on the overlocking. Mm. That didn't work. Um, then they tried me on the binding. That didn't work. So I was, like, in a room, and it was um, basically... So they made knickers for Marks and Spencers. And I, like, worked in this, like, chemical thing where if they had a stain on, I had to use this, like, chemical machine to get the stains out. I'm sure at some point 
in my later life, I'll be able to sue them for some kind of carcinogenic that it's, <laughs> I've been exposed to. Yeah. So for me, what I'm hearing is my experience of just hearing your stories. Just you've given me two examples there, which is one auditory wise. Certainly, when you're learning French, you're obviously really good at it. Yeah. But working in factory, using your hands, or or writing essays, or having to sit do something repetitively, is not for you. No. Yeah, so we know where my skill set lies. Yes, I do know where your skill set lies. <laughs> yes, I do. But it's just interesting, you know. I don't know this part of you. You know, I've known you for a few years now, but I don't know this this childhood aspect of mm. of your life working Nick Factory. You know, learning French. And I just wonder then, the big question in regards to this certificate yeah. is, are you going to keep this certificate? Oh, or no, you, you can sh- shred the L out of that. I'm not <laughs> asked about that. That can go. go all right, then. You can oh, pop it straight. Oh, yeah. I forgot to move. You can reach over. There we go. Oh. Yeah, you get it in the middle. Oh, there it goes. All right, then. So let's move on to... Your second item then. Okay. So an item that reminds you of a tough time. It's a page out of um, a file of facts. And for you listeners at home who may not know what a file of facts was, it was before the days of mobile phones existed. And it was like one up from a diary. And you thought you were really it if you had a file of facts and it was at the time of like the yuppies so this would have been like 1988 and um when i got my file of facts i thought i was the bee's knees <laughs> totally thought i was the bee's knees even though i was just 18. um and it's a page from that so this would have been april oh so there we go it's april 1990 so i would have got the Falifax in 89, so I would have been 19. And it's from April the 9th to the 15th. So one of the dates is Friday the 13th. And I've put in happy birthday, Mum, because that was my Mum's birthday. And then on the other one is um, my ex-husband. And he puts in lots of love and kisses, James. And it's our one-year anniversary from our first date. So we went on our first date. It was his mum's birthday on the 14th and mine on the 13th. So he'd written, without me knowing, in my file of facts, happy anniversary. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back then. So how long are you... So you've been with James for a year. Yeah, 1990, so I'd have been 20... Well, coming up to 20, so I would have been 20 in the August, so... Yeah, I was just like 18 when I started dating him. And how did you meet? Um, <laughs> um, I used to walk past a shop he worked in, um, Bolt Clothing on Oldham Street. And every Friday I had a Friday job at City Life magazine. Um, so I went for work experience when I was 16 and they kept me. So I used to walk past the shop and I'd see him in the shop and I said to myself, I'm going to marry him one day. I thought he was a lot older than he was. And then I bumped into him in Piccadilly Records and um, we went, we had this, because obviously there was no phones, it was like landlines and things like that, but you'd be living with your parents. So um, we arranged to meet two weeks 
late that day outside Piccadilly Records and he was an hour late. An hour? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What? I, nearly, I nearly went home, yeah. You waited, You so you waited for an hour? Mm. Wow. Yeah, because in those days it was like nobody could ring you to say, oh, I'm going to be, be late. late. Yeah. So, you know. Wow. Uh, and you think this, you know, I quite liked him, so... People had more patience. Yes, in those days. True. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I think that's true because it's so easy just to cancel on someone these days, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. On the day, ten minutes before. Yeah, and people are always going. Oh, I'll be there in ten minutes. I'll be there in fifteen minutes. I'll be there in two hours, Susie. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> and I'm. I think I still have that thing from those days where you turned up on time. Mm. And it's very rare that I'm actually late for things. I always will either be early or on time. But I think that's to a throwback of when, you know, you, you couldn't let people stand around waiting mm. when you arranged to meet them, you know, outside John Lewis's or something. Mm. Yeah. I think it's important to remember that quality and that it's not uncool to be early or to be ready to go. I think every time I meet someone, they're always late or I'm always late. You're always late. I am always late. <laughs> I don't mean to be late, but I think I've, I think over the years, certainly from being friends with people who are like on time, mm. I have tried to get my acts together and it's a hard skill to undo. Yeah. Because I don't want to always have to excuse myself for being late because I think after a while you just kind of go... Get your shit together. Just get your shit together. It's my, James, my ex-husband, he was habitually late for everything um, and always has been. And it used to drive me insane. Mm. And he's passed that on to my son, Harry, who's the same. It's always late. I kind of think it's a kind of a, a, an act of passive aggression. <laughs> What, being late? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I think it's some kind of, like, little, you know, fuck you. Do you think that's from all people who are late? Yeah. Ah, it's yeah. not. It's just bad time managers. Uh, bad time managers. I, I, I think it becomes so ingrained in people that they think that you've got that X amount of time to do it. And it's like, you haven't. No. Everybody knows you haven't. I'm having a big life lesson learned here. <laughs> I'm learning. No, it's not an act of passive aggression. I never would want it to be. And I'm no, sorry. But, but, no, but sometimes it can be, though, yeah. I think. Like, especially with my ex-husband, because it, it was continuous, did you mean? Mm. There's a difference between, you know, sometimes you late because you really can't help it. Mm. So there's, you know, you excuse a few times or... I'm not saying I've been on time every single time because, you know, things do happen. Mm. But if it's, like, something that is in your psyche that mm. you're doing, there's a reason that you're rebelling against something. Mm. What's that reason that you can't actually be at the place that you need to be or give yourself enough time. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was talking with Alice when we recorded another podcast. It's ego, it's egoic mind. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's not to say that when I arrive, now everything <laughs> can start and it's not that. Or you have some kind of superpower that you think you can, like, get through traffic quicker than somebody else. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. And I think for me, I think the thing that I've learned, I think since COVID and kind of using public transport again is <laughs> public transport is so much more slower and more yeah. unreliable. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I always think I'm going to get there in like, 
like 20, 20, 30 minutes. I go, don't yeah. take me 30 minutes to well, get this there. Well, is, this is the problem that my son has because he looks at an app and it says 22 minutes. <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> 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 or he goes, well, the, the bus is going to be here at 13.33 and he gets to the bus stop at 13.32. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it's rubbish, do you mm, mean? Mm. You have to... Yeah, and I remember when I first got my first TV gig. Yeah. I remember sharing that news with you, <laughs> and you were really excited for me. But you, you absolutely went into mum mode, which was oh, pr- I, mum producer mode. I was so panicked that you were going to not get there and give yourself time to prep for it. You will get what is it like the seven thirty? I don't have to be there till ten. I will just right, get the. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Get on that earlier train. Yes, and I'm really glad. I'm really glad because it actually gave me time just to calm down yeah. and to chill and to have a coffee and to go over my four lines and to just enjoy being in that space instead of yeah. turning up late, sweaty, train was late. Yeah, totally. I can, like in the old days when I used to date, I no longer date, um, but when I used to date, if I had a date, I would always get to the date at least 45 minutes before, just so I could sit down okay. and breathe. And, oh, you know, if I had a job interview, if yes. there's something... Well, not that dates are important, but um, if there's something where you've, it's important for you to come across mm. as coherent and put together... Yes. I think you just need to just... It's about um, gathering your thoughts and just having that silent time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Carly, the producer, um, is always like, can you get here an half an hour before? And even today, I was I was 15 minutes late because I was at a symposium and then I had to get a taxi yeah. and then, you know, there's always <clears throat> traffic and, yeah. you know, I did arrive 15 minutes late, but really I was 45 minutes early, which you'll be pleased to know. Oh, well but, done. But Alice turned up <laughs> 25 minutes early and I was like, ah! oh, gosh, how are we going to do this? But, but no, I, it is something that I'm really... I'm really trying to work on but going back to this special weekend then so yeah was your mum still with us then oh yeah you see yes yeah because this is gosh it's 1990 what's that oh 33 years ago okay so mum's still with us so what did you do that weekend then um what did we do oh we went to the corner house oh yeah which was very because there was no such things as bars in those days so there was two bars there was dry bar and there was the corner house, and then everything else was pubs. So we went to the corner house for a drink, then we went to Henry's Cocktail Bar that's behind Kendall's, or House Fraser as it's now known. Mm-hmm. And then we went to the Man Alive, which is down at the back of the university to some really crap. Acid House Night. <laughs> and is that where you took both both mums to the Acid House no, Night? No, no, no. The, the, the mums weren't there. They were there. Well, that's why James said he was late, because he had to go and see his mum, because it was a birthday. I think we have to fill people in that, you know, now I'm divorced. So, uh, dear reader, I did marry him. Um, <laughs> and we had a son together, but we divorced... In... Well, we separated in 2009, so we're together nearly 20 years. Um, so we've been divorced, yeah, about 13, 14 years. Um, 
so it's very weird with what you do with those memories from a marriage mm. and a relationship because you know I sold my wedding rings so I could pay for my flight to Burning Man. <laughs> did you? Yeah, when did yeah. you do that? What year was that? Uh, that would have been about eight years ago. And there was, like, lots of little things that, you know, you hold on to. But then also it's kind of... Then you look at them because when you split up, it's like, was that all a lie? Mm. So the sentimentality that you have attached to those things that you had before when they meant something... When you split up, because in the way that we split up, because he left me um, for another woman, so it was a very painful split. It wasn't um, a split where, you know, it was acrimonious and, you know, you both decided to split up. So I was absolutely devastated and I had a three-year-old son, so... And it was somebody I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with. And I'd been with since I was 19, so he'd been with me all through the formative parts of my life. Um, So, you know, there's a point where you get really angry and you'll rip things up and throw them out and then you'll regret it or, or you'll hold on to something and then one day it could mean everything and, you know, within 24 hours it means nothing. Mm. So this is one of the few things I have actually got left from that time. Where is this normally in your house? It'll be in one of my boxes. This, with the certificate, will be in my box of childhood cards, letters, um, birth cards, all that business. Mm -hmm. So it was in there, it was in that with the certificate. And do you just have one box of memories or do you have several? Oh, there's several, Susie. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us what's in these boxes. Well, like I said, so there's a Harry box that's got his umbilical cord in. It's got his, oh, what's it called? Ultrasound pictures in. It's got his bracelet. It's got his baby teeth. It's got what I brought home. It's got all his congratulations card. I do actually have my wedding box. I didn't throw that out. So I've got all my wedding photos and wedding cards in that. I haven't got in that for quite a while, actually. And then I have the box of stuff from when you were, like, a kid, so that's all birthday cards from... I've kept all my birthday cards from my mum and my nana and Mm. Christmas cards. And then there'll be ones from James in there or ones that Harry's given me. Then there's all Harry's paintings that he did as a little Mm -hmm, boy that mm -hmm. I've kept all of them. I think that's it. So your boxes, then, are not... I mean, from my experience, I do everything by year. Oh, no, they're not curated, no. (laughs) But yours are more from events or from people in particular? Well, it's just a box that in this weird filing system in my head would go in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it'd go in me, Harry, wedding box. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you grew up with just your mum? And my nana. And what was that like? Um... I think now if you went to Rottenstall, it's all been kind of, you know, it's been gentrified and they have um, they have bars and delicatessens. But when I was there, even... So you used to get the X43 into Manchester, but that was another country. So there'd be people there who'd never even go into Manchester. They'd go, you're going into Manchester? And I'd be like, yeah. And we're going, why were... And I had... At the time, so it's about 86, so I had, like, super short bleach blonde hair 
And it was the first time that people, women started wearing Dot Martins. So six months before, I would have been in a white stiletto and a pastel pink mini skirt, <laughs> climbing up a hill in the snow, coming home from the Queen's at two o'clock in the morning, um, about to vomit on um, Malibu and pineapple. And then the boy who I lost my virginity to had a copy of the Face magazine and he was kind of into the Smiths and read the Face magazine. So obviously I started reading the Face magazine and wearing Doc Martens and discovering alternative culture. That was his legacy, that and a trip to A&E. But that's a different story that we won't go into here. So it was a bit weird. So if you were at anything a little bit different, people couldn't get their heads around it because it literally was a world away. But, yeah, it, it was... Even though I think it's 18 miles from Manchester, it might as well have been 800. Mm. So, it's quite, yeah, it's quite different. And growing up with a mum, which we'll go on to, um, who was yeah. a hoarder, what was that relationship like growing well, up? Well, when I was growing up, she wasn't a hoarder then. The house... So I grew up in a council house, so it was, it, we were very, very poor. So my nana didn't work, but my mum worked in a factory. You know, we didn't have central heating. I think I was 17 before I saw a colour TV. We didn't have phone, because uh, it was a council house. There was, like, mould everywhere. So it was a really scruffy house, very scruffy. Mm. And I used to be quite embarrassed. Well, what, I don't know, was I embarrassed? I think I was a bit embarrassed but also a little bit of fuck it, you know, this is how I live, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This is my house. Mm -hmm. And all my friends, I would say, was quite middle class. So I think even then it was like, well, you know, accept me, this is it. Yeah. So there was always loads of crap everywhere, but I wouldn't say it was hoardery was at it that quite point. Small? Is it quite small? Yeah, it's yeah. a council house. So I shared a bedroom with my nana till I left home because mm. it was just two bedrooms. Mm -hmm. But I think when I left home, so I left home at 18, 19, and I'd go back and visit, I could start to see it filling up a little bit. And I think when nana was alive in the last years of Nana, that's when my mum's QVC obsession started because she had to give up work. So she, I think she was about 40, 44, 45. And I'd be noticing stuff or there'd be, I'd like, every time I went, I used to clean because Nana got older, so she couldn't clean, but my mum wasn't really into cleaning and there'd be like four massive tubs of coffee it started with like you know six packets of sugar mm -hmm. kind of bulk buying stuff right. do, you, do you know what I mean that's yeah. how it started yeah so the kitchen was very small I can remember going back and there'd be like two mops it was just doubling up mm. on stuff, do you know what I mean? Ma and, yeah, so, and would your mum say, I'm just making sure that I've got stuff in the house or did she excuse or ever talk about it? Um, she didn't and then I'd say something and she'd just get angry so we kind of avoided it. But that then was pretty much when the 
flurry of really weird presents, birthdays and Christmas presents would arrive. What kind of stuff? Oh, God, so... So growing up, for birthdays and Christmases, I'd, I'd probably get, like, two or three presents, nothing big. So I can remember one year I got an album, I got Frankie Goes to Hollywood, I got a little makeup set, and I got some bubble bath. That would be yeah. Christmas or yeah. birthday. Nice rounded gifts. And then I think as I got older, it was like money so I could go and buy clothes. And then, but these like really random bags of stuff would appear. So like one year, and I really wish I'd kept them all now because it would have made the best art exhibition you would have seen, you know, stuff my mother bought me. Mm. Just because it's so... For example, one year there was a a globe that had the crunchies inset with it in different stones. And when I asked her why she bought me that, she thought that I could um, show it to my friends at dinner parties. And then there was his and hers bike saddles, though I didn't have a bike, a cake slicer, just Bags and bags of really random stuff. Out of the ordinary stuff. Yeah, you know. that she would have that she would have thought was an absolute bargain. Mm. Um and she had to get I think she'd start to give me clothes, but I made it pretty clear, no, that's fine. Don't buy me clothes. So that's how it started with the bags of like random stuff. And then I'd go back and I'd find hidden bottles, beauty products from QVC. She'd give them me, wanting me to go, oh, my God, these are amazing. Thank you, thank you. But I'd be like, Mum, don't spend your money on that. Don't waste your money. Please, I don't need it. And then it got to a point that there was a space behind the settee that was, like, hidden between the settee and the lamp, and I looked down... And she had, like, 12 bottles of this moisturiser and seven bottles. All I could think of was how much this was costing and she was going to get into debt. And she did. She she ended up... I paid off her overdraft. It was, like, £4,000. Um, and she swore to me on my life that she wouldn't do it again and that she'd stopped. And there was, like I say, just bags of it. And when, I can remember when she swore to me that she hadn't done it, there was a knock on the door, and it was the postman with a QVC box. And like I say, I paid that off, and I think then she knew she couldn't do the QVC thing. And I've removed the channels from the TV, etc. But then she got into charity shop shopping. She was obsessed getting designer bargains for some reason. And then after my nana died, that's when it really went out of control. Mm-hmm. And she used to buy clothes that were, like, half her size. She wouldn't be able to fit into them. And for somebody who was much younger, and she'd show them to me and she'd be like, oh, what do you think? And if I said, oh, I'm not keen on that, she'd take that as a real insult. Right, okay. Yeah. 
So her tendencies increased then for hoarding after you, after her mum had passed away. Yeah, yeah. Basically, because there was a room to do it. There was a room. Of course. Yeah. My mum moved into my nana's bedroom, so there was a room then to hide the stuff in, mm. and I wasn't allowed, you know, upstairs. Mm. She'd get really nervous and twittery, if, you know, if I went upstairs. But, yeah, I think I opened the door and it, there was just piles and piles and piles and piles and piles of stuff. Mm. So when she had a mental breakdown, we decided it was probably best for her to move into sheltered accommodation. She wasn't happy, but obviously it's much smaller than that, than, you know, two-bedroomed full house. And I had to decide what she took she was still in the home then because she she had a full um psychotic breakdown so it took me two weeks to clear the house i used to go to the charity shops and beg them not to serve her but they did i added up all the tags because they'd still have the tags on the clothes and i returned four and a half thousand pounds worth of clothes back to the charity shop and there was three bins, and I mean bins, of beauty products. How big is this bin? Like a, you know, like a... A wheelie bin. Like a wheelie bin, yeah. Three three of those. So the money that was wasted just breaks my heart. Mm. Absolutely breaks my heart. How did your mum cope with you deciding what... Oh, she didn't. No. That was... Yeah. And obviously at that point she'd had the breakdown... And we'd always had quite a fractured relationship growing up. It was never an easy one, but that was the turning point. I was then the total enemy. Mm. Um, And I'm an only child. I don't have any other family members. So it actually was really hard to clear that house. Mm. And because it's a council house, you have to do it in this very short time frame as well. So that was incredibly stressful. Wow. So you are the child of a hoarder. Yeah. What was really difficult was making that decision, what was to take with her. And obviously when she got there, you know, I'd stolen all her best things. I'd left her with the rubbish. Mm. And I tried really hard to make, you know, it was a fresh start for her to go into a nice home and within six months, it was packed to the rafters. Absolutely packed to the rafters. Yeah. And so all that hard work of kind of clearing that house... Yeah. You felt like it was... What was the point if she was just going to keep doing it? I suppose back then as well, hoarding probably wasn't seen as a disorder or a mental illness like it is now. <clears throat> well, yeah, I think that was an indicator of her... Growing up, looking back, she probably did have a lot of mental health issues Um, because as you become older and you have children yourself, you see other things. There's a lot of things that I grew up with that, when I look back, probably wasn't normal. But when you're a child, you accept that. Mm -hmm. Because you don't know any different. You don't know any different, no. And as you get older and you learn a little bit more about yourself and about relationships and you become more educated about things. There was a lot of ha-ha moments where I was like, ah, right, OK, yeah. The hoarding was definitely the start 
of the mental health issues mm -hmm. and definitely an indicator that it was increasing. Mm. Wow. I can feel the weight of... I'm just reflecting on this idea that if I ever did become a mum, that I would never want my child to have to go through that. Well, I had to do it again, because oh, when she died, mm. I had to clear her house again. So I had to go through all that. But this time, obviously, I didn't have to decide what was to keep. But it was still having to trawl through, you know, so many piles and bags of stuff. And, you know, I have photographs of... There was nine chopping boards, 16 tabards. Ah, a tabard. I love a tabard. Yeah, 32 tea towels. Wonderful. You can, ne you can never not have as many tea towels. Yeah, and I still have... You know, I kept some of the beauty products. Mm -hmm. You've been a recipient. Oh, I have. All our friends have been a recipient <laughs> of it. And um, I kept her QVC jewellery collection, yes. which you also have been a recipient of. Um, yes, thank you. And I've given bits of them away. You know, What I love is her things have had, actually, the things that I've kept and that I've given away have gone on some really amazing magical journeys. So some of her jewellery, again, I gave to my friend Ridian, and that's been, you know, worn in uh, Burning Man and in the back dark rooms of clubs in Berlin. And her shapewear, which is that she had a massive bag of that you've had some. I have a friend called Leas who's in a band called the Fat White Family. And he rang me up um, before he was performing in Manchester and said, have you got like something that is like a skin tone cycling pant? And I was like, <laughs> I have. <laughs> I have just the thing. I have just the thing. So he wore them that night on the stage. And it went down a storm. And then a few days later, he was performing at Nebworth, where they were opening up for Liam Gallagher. And said same shapewear <laughs> is on stage performing in front of 100,000 people. <laughs> so it really tickles me that her possessions have gone on these, like, magical mm. journeys and have had way more fun than she ever did in her life. In a way, I think that's really nice. Yes, it's really beautiful because yeah. that legacy, even though, like, it's not with you, you know that... that yeah, that it's, it's kind of else. spread over, you know. A lot of it's, like you know, thrown away or given to charity shops. It was just loads of money going down the drain, mm. which was also kind of heartbreaking. Mm. And then obviously now I have got it, so I am trying to slowly... I, mm. I like to give it away. Yes. Yeah, I enjoy giving it away. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yes, it's definitely... Some people have this quality that they really enjoy buying things for other people or, or parting with things. Mm. That, that, oh, know, I'm a gifter. You are, you're but, a good gifter. But, but not in the sense, if I'm forced to gift, I'm not. But it's like, you will have a gift. It'll be the right time and the right place. Mm. It will come. It's yeah, a very yeah. visceral experience when you're a gift giver. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so going back to, I mean, we've gone on a huge, oh God, wonderful me, journey yeah. listening to... Obviously. Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way on this podcast. Yeah. So going back to 1990, Filofax. Mm. April 1990. April 1990, the weekend of your mum's birthday, James's birthday, birthday. and the, your first anniversary. That's true. So, I don't, 
keep... I'm torn. There's no pressure to shred. I know, I'm torn. It's like... It's like, why sell your wedding rings, which you would think were way more sentimental, but keeping this piece of paper? And, and ooh. And I think I will keep it. Because I can remember how happy we were at that time. Um, you know, and we have Harry, who we made together, who I love deeply. So I think after time, it's been able to look at something like that. Mm. And it's still hurtful. You know, I'm here with a big frog in my throat. But I think I will keep it. <laughs> Yes. Plus, it's a bit. I have no other bit of my file of facts, so it's a memory of having a file of facts as well <laughs> in 1990. Moving on to our final item, then. Well, I think we may have kind of covered this mm. a little bit because it's again for the viewers at home, <laughs> listeners, listeners, not viewers. Yeah. It's my mum's bus pass. Expiry date, 16th of November, 2023. And it's her Lancashire County Council now card. That's this year? Yeah. I could actually... I could probably, <laughs> if I had dark hair and the glasses, could get away with it. And I just... It's, it's really weird, cos I have it... It lives in my pantry for some bizarre reason, where up to... A few months ago, I had my mum's ashes because I couldn't think of anywhere to scatter them. Um, so it was kind of like my, the top bit of my pantry was like my mum's shrine because <laughs> I don't have any pictures of her. There's hardly any pictures of me and her together. I think growing up as well, I don't think we had a camera, so all the pictures I have are of, like... A friend who took pictures of us. So there's not that many photographs of my mum, mm. except for this one on her now card, Lancashire County Council. And this is definitely one of the ones in her last few years of her life because I definitely don't have any photographs from then. And so why is um, your mum's bus pass special and why have you brought it in today? Well, just because it's... It's just weird how I have it in the pantry. Did you say you only recently got your mum's ashes? Or yeah. You, so what I, happened to them? So um, I was working in Artist Liaison for Madness last year or the year before, and it was at Butlin's Minehead. But when I was at Minehead, I remember it was my first ever holiday as a child. Um, when I was eight, and we went, me, my mum and my nana went to Butlins. And it was the only... I only ever went on three holidays as a child. But that's the one where nothing bad happened <laughs> and there was no drama. So I had nothing but lovely memories of it. And I can remember being really excited because it was the first time I'd seen butter that was in individual squares and wrapped <laughs> in gold. And that was like the most exciting thing in the whole world. And then I realised that this would be a great place to do Mum's Ashes. Mm. So I went back this year to work at the Fat Boy Slim Weekender. As you do. As you do. And I took Mum's Ashes down on the train. And on the Monday after the weekend, I'd worked 108 hours that week. 
and I was very tired and very emotional. And I went to the beach and it was an absolute roaring gale, like a force 10 gale. And I'd borrowed a red coat um, jacket, like a puffer jacket yeah. thing. <laughs> not, not, not a blazer. Not, not a blazer. <laughs> and I had an umbrella and I was like holding on to the ashes with one hand of the umbrella. And I get to the beach and it's flooded and it's, it's like I sink into the mud. The umbrella rolls across the beach and I'm running after it and I fall over and I'm holding the ashes and then I pick them up and then I've got the umbrella and I'm playing, trying to play the song that she, when she was cremated, I, I chose and I've got it on YouTube and it's like... And then all of a sudden, because it, it was um, Into the Misty by Van Morrison, and I'm about trying to scatter them, and as I'm scattering them, the advert comes up of, are you age 40 to 65? Do you have a funeral plan in place? <laughs> and, you know, and the ashes kind of go over my foot, and they go down the poor blue coach jacket. And I'm, I'm kind of crying, but also... And I'm covered in mud, and it's the, I, it's the most miserablest thing you could ever see. But then I end up in hysterical laughter because it was, you know, Mike Lee could have filmed it mm. and it was kind of like a really... It was a fitting end and I was on my own and, you know, very much through my journey with my mother and, and when she was ill, I'd done everything on my own. Mm. I'd cleared the house on my own. I'd, you know, got six buses to hospitals, I dealt with all the professionals. So it kind of felt apt that... And, and you know, there was a, a lot of misery involved with, you know, around that time with my mum, and it was really hard. Um, but also some hysterical moments, like when she thought she was Lady Di. And one of the things that she did buy, and I think you may have seen it in my house, is the most amazing picture of Charles and Lady Diana made out of individual tiny bricks. <laughs> it's amazing. It is amazing. And um, one of the last times I went to a house before she got sectioned again, I walked in and there's this picture, and I'm like, oh, my God. God, this actually probably is the best thing you have ever, ever bought in your life. And that's when she thought she was Lady Di, so I think that's why she bought it. Um, but that does actually have pride of place on my um, on my wall. Mm. I'm getting a bit emotional. Oh, don't get emotional. Not, not about the brick Lady <laughs> Diana. It's just, um, just hearing kind of like the chaos of trying to do something really significant like scatty mum's ashes <laughs> yeah. on the beach but you know I've never like had to scatter ashes in our family's burial we're a burial family yeah, yeah. <laughs> but scattering of ashes and hearing stories and they never work out the way they're oh, meant no. to. But to to be honest I don't even think because the funeral parlour lost them four months so that could well be Bill Bigsby from Accrington. <laughs> but I think for me, I think the thing that... The reason I was getting upset was that this whole podcast and what you've told me is that it has always been on your own. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like just how hard it must have been just to keep going through this cycle and this cyclical routine of 
trying to get your mum to stop and it not working and kind of going through all of her stuff again and getting rid of stuff and being the enemy and, and the relationship not working and, and just feeling like it's like agonising and it's hard work. And yeah. Even right at the end with the ashes. There was tears of sadness and then there was tears yeah. of laughter. Yeah. Because, like, through it all, it's, you know, a comedy of errors. Mm. But you've, I think you always have to find, you know, where would you be without a laugh? Exactly, Susan, I know. Here. <laughs> 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 exactly. So, with this beautiful bus pass in mind, the yeah. photo of you, nah, I'm not shredding nah, that. Nah, not going from shredding. No, because it. it's too lovely. Mm. Look at it. And I might be able to use it. I, won't, I I've think got you should. Till, I've got till November. Being a DJ, uh, being a producer, continuing to work in the arts and in the industry. Yeah. What are you doing with yourself at the moment? Um, I'm currently working for BBC Education, mm -hmm. so I'm helping create new campaigns for them, which is really nice because I think it's a good way for me to use my brain and mm -hmm. it's quite nice that you're actually coming up with something that is abuse to mm. somebody and actually you know makes a difference your skill set is 100 percent like formatting you're a lateral thinker yeah yeah totally you're a lateral thinker that's the yeah. most amazing one of the most amazing qualities to be in front of and just the way that your brain works is just incredible <laughs> you can retain facts and information you learn things and honestly you, you are honestly one of the most beautiful people oh, that i've thank met you, and thank Susan. you oh. thank you for being on this podcast and oh. for sharing your story i, I really do appreciate thanks it. for having me <laughs> if you've been affected by some of the things Denise and I have spoken about, here's where you can get some help. If you're a hoarder like me and need help and you live in the north of England, why not get in touch with Ian's group, Hoarders Helping Hoarders Peer Support Group. You can contact him on hoardershelpinghoarders.com. Also, there are national charities like Hoarding Disorders UK, and you can contact them on 0330 133 2310 and their website is hoardingdisordersuk.org. If you are struggling with your mental health, you can contact the Samaritans. You can call them for free on 116 123. There's also more info in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Landfill of Memories, the podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed the conversation. If you did, wonderful. And it's always appreciated if you could share this podcast with your friends, family and fellow hoarders too. If you want to hear more, make sure you click the follow button now on whatever app you use to listen to your podcasts. You can also follow me on social media on at Landfill of Mems. Many blessings. <laughs>